Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. What up, what up, what up? This is our triune pod. We are here. This is the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm ben. the Reverend Ben DeHart. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, well, bro, I'm good to see you, dude. Good to see you too, man. I feel like it's been a while, even though it's not. Yeah, it's just been seven days since we recorded the last pod. Right. Um, hey, man, I thought we'd start this episode with kind of a, a segment. Is that cool? That's great. We, uh, yeah, we've been doing this thing every week where we start with some like meaningless banter. And so I thought we'd formalize that meaningless banter <laughs> with a, a section called unrelated, where we just institutionalized like institutionalized it, institutionalized it. Exactly. So we just like open the pod with some unrelated stuff that is hopefully interesting and um, definitely not a waste of our listeners time. Um, but yeah, so unrelated, anything unrelated that you want to share before we jump into this pod? Definitely. So I, I watched uh, this History Channel series on Ulysses S. Grant. I'm a history nerd. Nick's a history nerd. So hopefully you can bear with this. But what I thought was great about it was there was just nothing to watch on TV. I turned this on. This is not the usual thing I watch, but I learned so much. And I'd be curious, Nick, uh, to hear what you know about Grant. But I've always thought of him as kind of this like general who is brutal who is a drunk not that great but this series presented him as during his lifetime and immediately after grant is on the par of george washington and abraham lincoln he saves the union he is way against the ku klux klan when no one else is in fact he destroys the first iteration of it uh he has probably the highest views of black people for its time, even higher than Lincoln, they were saying. Ta-Nehisi Coates was on this, Ron Chernow, who wrote Hamilton. Um, yeah, like, I just thought this was super interesting, learned a lot. What about you? What did you, uh, what are you institutionalizing this week? <laughs> well, can I, can I not respond to the Grant thing? No, I'm kidding. Um, that's not pretty interesting. Yeah, you know Jamel Bowie, the New York Times, no. op-ed guy he he wrote for slate for a long time and now he's like one of the op-ed columnists for he he's i think him and like ross douthat are like the best new york times op-ed columnists just for mm -hmm. what it's worth uh he wrote he writes a lot about grant um he's a historian or at least he's very interested in history yeah i kind of think of him as someone who was like sacrificed on the altar of historiography you know like the more that the lost mm -hmm. cause myth became institutionalized mm -hmm. uh the more that grant's reputation suffered um that sounds like an interesting show people and that's what really what they emphasize it's uh they say that uh southern historians really wrote about the civil war when no one else was and shifted the narrative from the war being about slavery to be, it being about states rights etc glorified robert e lee and essentially painted grant as yeah a lucky drunk yeah, oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, so unrelated for me. Well, um, actually, this is like 
mildly related. Um, but I think, uh, I think this person is one of your parishioners. Um, she, uh, Caitlin Beatty, am I yep. saying that right? Yeah. She wrote, uh, an article for the religion news service. Uh, it's like an opinion piece. Uh, it's a great title, Carl Lentz and the hot pastor problem. <laughs> and she, uh, is talking about the former head pastor. I don't know what his title is, but, uh, uh Hillsong in New York city, and I, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this podcast know he was uh, he resigned his position because of a moral scam. I think it's public like infidelity. Uh, it's definitely public. <laughs> it's public in lots of ways. Uh, and what I really like about the piece is it's it's not a kind of high culture takedown of Hillsong and p- point, picking out different ways in which Hillsong is bad for reasons that people like me and you would kind of gleefully agree with. But I think what she isolates is this dynamic in in lots of churches, whether they're big or small or kind of seeker friendly like Hillsong or even more like liturgical like stuff that we do. But this idea where if the desirability of the pastor becomes almost an organizing principle of the church and how if that's the culture of, of a congregation, it kind of it doesn't excuse Lentz's behavior or make him to be out of victim or something like that, but it creates an ecosystem where that with a type that type of behavior is almost like the natural conclusion. I don't know if she would exactly agree with my characterization of her article, but um, she talks about like the, the hot pastor formula. Mega churches recruit spiritual leaders who are designed to be found desirable by congregants. Their mission becomes bound up in their need to fill their ego, a need to be loved and desired. Uh, it's just, it's, I think for people that are even not interested in Hillsong and what went down there, I think it's just a really great snapshot of a very strong current in American Christianity, American yeah, evangelicalism. That's really interesting. Sorry, Caitlin, I have not read your piece yet, but yeah, I, I find that interesting because yeah, when you're, well, the one time I went to Hillsong here in New York, it was probably six years ago. And I went with some people from my church and man, it is a production. It is a rock show. They, they do very well. Everyone on stage is gorgeous you're at, yeah, you feel like you're in the middle of a concert. And I just remember uh, this bassist, this girl who was so attractive and we're singing this song to Jesus. And I'm like, am I worshiping the Lord? And or am I worshiping her? Which kind of goes to your, your point. Like you kind of feel like, man, like if you, if everything is about how attractive people are, like not again, not to excuse this kind of behavior, but it almost seems inevitable. So yeah, no, I think I think that's right. Well, okay, so unrelated segment is over. But the reason why I think it, it bleeds over into our actual collect and conversation for today is this is the the second Sunday, this third Sunday of Advent, but it's the second Sunday where the lectionary texts are um, centered around John the Baptist. And uh, I think what John the Baptist represents is someone, his uh, contribution to Christianity in some ways was to speak about who he was not. He was like the exact opposite of the hot pastor formula. He was someone who was constantly testifying to and pointing people towards someone other than himself. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's, let's dig into the collect. It goes like this. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Bend to heart. Break it down. 
All right. Well, I mean, I love it right off the bat. Stir up your power because we are sorely hindered by our sins. Uh, what does stirring up your power mean? When I think of this, I think of uh, those times in the Bible where people, the people of Israel or prophets are saying, like, Lord, remember us. And uh, yeah, what does that mean? Like, does, that doesn't mean that the Lord has forgotten them as if he's off busy doing something else. Uh, it really means it's, it's a call to present action. Lord, act. You have done these mighty acts on our behalf in history. Act now. And I think that's really what this colic is saying. Stir up your power. Act in this present moment. Act because we are enslaved by sin, enslaved by our individual sins, but also by a power. I think this colic makes clear that we are not entirely free. We, we are sorely hindered. We, we are trying to do the right thing. We are trying to treat our neighbor well. We're trying to be good to ourselves, and yet we simply can't. So act. And I think really helpful for those of you who are reading your scriptures when you come across passages like that, that kind of anthropomorphize God or make God human-like. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same thing as like when a, when a woman who's struggling calls out to God to remember her or act on her behalf. She's not saying, you know, please think about me from time to time. She's saying, take action on behalf of my mother or my child. And we can pray in that same way. Uh, and people have forever. I think it's really helpful. Yeah, man, that's great. I think, I, it, I, I don't know, it's somewhere in the Psalms. That, that's a biblical phrase, I think, mm -hmm. isn't it? Stir up your power, stir up your strength. I, I want to say Psalm 80 or Psalm 84, or I don't know. Um, is that also, I can't believe I'm asking you this like in real time. Is that the lyrics to the Bob Marley song, Stir It Up? Isn't that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it is, dude. Stir it, it up, little darling. Stir it me is. up. Nick wins uh, the pop culture reference this week. <laughs> yeah. Dude, do you know what I think about when I think about like, like asking the Godhead to stir up God's power? This is like so irreverent. I think of like, um, if you've ever been like to like a, like an NBA, like playoff game when it's like, they get the crowd really into it. And because it's a circle, you can almost like see the crowd getting like stirred up. I think mm -hmm. about us approaching the council of God and all the <laughs> holy ones that surround God's throne, just getting stirred up in power. <laughs> Next time you say communion, the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Exactly. You're just stirring it up, man. That's NBA so good. Game. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think another real highlight of the prayer, uh, I say highlight somewhat, counterintuitively is its description of the human condition mm. uh, you know sorely hindered it, it that to me seems like a great gloss on the language from the the 28 prayer book confession we have no power in our in ourselves to help ourselves mm. we are sorely hindered what does that phrase miserable offenders yeah mean to you sorely hindered what does that like do to you emotionally yeah no i mean i think I mean, I love that language. We don't really talk that way, but that is, I mean, so beautiful. And I think really it, it makes me focus on the last part of that prayer. Uh, we, we are asking mercifully, speedily help and deliver us. I am in bondage to my negative character traits, to my individual sins, and I need you 
to help me and not just help me, but deliver us in like that old Testament Exodus style, like deliver us Lord. We are bound up in Egypt, uh, no matter what it is for you in your own individual life, but also like in our, you know, corporate lives. Like we oppressed people really feel this. I am sorely hindered by the person subjugating me. And we in our own lives with, you know, maybe we live in a free country and don't struggle with that, but sorely hindered. We are oppressed by something. And so for some of us, it's someone. And we are calling out because we can't lift up ourselves by our own bootstraps. We can't just do it. Lord, stir up your power. Remember us. Act as you have. Uh, invade the cosmos once more on my behalf. And we can boldly pray that. I think that's what's beautiful about this third collect for Advent. And this, and, and Advent, like Advent three, we've talked about this in the past, right? Uh, traditionally, the four Sundays are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So this week would be heaven. And I do think that a picture of heaven is this, when we have been delivered, when we've been, our sins no longer have this grip on us. Uh, when the, the third character in the great play of our lives, it's, it's God, it's humanity, and it's the enemy. When the enemy is crushed under our feet by our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will experience wholeness. Then we will experience uh, what the Bible talks about, about heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and that's, that's good news to me. That's good, man. Uh, another completely irrelevant pop culture illustration. I think my favorite song on Jimmy World's masterful album, Clarity, oh is a uh, so good. For me, this is heaven. You know that song? Uh, oh man, that song. That yeah. song kills. It's too bad we can't play these songs for you guys. But go ahead, download that masterpiece. Yeah, Bob Marley and Jimmy World. <laughs> um, well, okay. How would you? One of the things I was I was thinking about as I was prepping for this podcast is the incongruity between the expectation for God to stir up his power and come among us in the first century between what actually the discrepancy between that and what happened, God being mm -hmm. born a, you know, anonymous Mediterranean peasant. And I'm wondering how that the kind of scandal of the incarnation might like control the way that our influence, the way we think about the way God's power comes among us today right and oftentimes kind of anonymous counterintuitive um, cross-shaped forms um, where we might expect something dramatic and instantaneous uh, and in and, and a way that might remove all doubt right like i saw the heaven opened <laughs> and uh god's power you know jacob's ladder whereas in reality when we we pray this prayer and we pray it in faith and with expectation that god is indeed going to answer us answer us but God's power might take the form of something much less dramatic or much less, um, I don't know. I mean, the resurrection is pretty convincing, so I don't want to say unconvincing, but like, I think counterintuitive might be the best, the yeah. best way to think about it. Yeah. Sometimes like all evidence is to the contrary, and yet we have faith and not by sight. But yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I mean, Jesus was not born. God did not come into the world, the son of a Roman emperor which would have been easy for all to see once and for all, like why not destroy sin and death that way? But God in God's freedom 
decides I am going to be incarnated in the outskirts of the empire, some, a place that doesn't mean anything to people who are lowly. And I think that that's helpful in our own lives. I mean, the, the people who oftentimes pray these prayers the most or the most convincingly to me tend to be the people on the margins, tend to be, you know, those, you know, the African-American church. What is, how do they have such great faith and, and talk in these kind of ways, stir up your power, make a way out of no way to quote the great Andrew Young. Whereas, you know, you and I who are, you know, a little bit wealthier or had better lives, we're, we're kind of like, eh, I don't really, I don't know how to pray this way. I want to make sure I pray, you know, your will be done, cut off all the good parts of the prayers. I think that sometimes it is in our pain. It is really in those places when we cry out to God and God heals us in those areas. God isn't really interested in giving us that Porsche we're asking for, or, you know, the winning lottery ticket, or, you know, you fill in the blank. And it, it, those things are outrageous, but sometimes we ask for good things for us. We're not being selfish, and God does not act in those places. And yet, I mean, this is like, we'll talk about this, I think, in future weeks, what Fleming Rutledge talks about, the hiddenness of God. Uh, what we see in books like The Lord of the Rings, Sauron is a very obvious character, very obvious enemy. But in the books, more so than in the movie, there is this force that's unnamed, that's, that's personable, but unnamed, that is working on behalf of the characters, lowly people like Frodo and the outskirts of you know, Middle Earth. And I think that, you know, in our own lives, oftentimes, I'm not, our great mentor, Ethan Magnus, said God is working in the biggest ways in your pain. So never stray too far from it. What do you, what do you think, Nick? Do you got anything to add to that? No, I mean, yeah, I think that was a great summary of what I was trying to get at with, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I, do have, I do have something though I think is really interesting and to me is like, is like could not be more central to the gospel. But it, so I was reading, um, if our listeners are like interested in the colics, they might be interested in this. Like, we get a version of the colics in the Book of Common Prayer, but they've been like edited and rearranged lots of different ways. So you can find different versions of the same collect, if that makes sense, in different prayer books around the communion. And in the uh, Church of England, I think their prayer book that they use functionally is called Common Worship. And in their collect, there's a, uh, for I think it's for the, I don't know what Sunday and Advent, I don't think it's exactly the same as ours, but they add a phrase from Hebrews 12 in there. So their call, it goes, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins in running the race that is set before us, mm. let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and defend us. And mm. that's you know coming from Hebrews 12. You know, we run the race that is set before us. And um, I, you know this, and I think 98% of the people that know me who are listening to this podcast know I've done a, I've done a lot of running in my life and I've run several marathons. Uh, and so I was thinking about uh, okay, well, yeah, that's not my point. My point is actually to kind of turn this around because I think a lot of people use the language of any kind of any one of the New Testament athletic metaphors as fuel in the fire of virtue ethicists, you know, say it's just like training, you take one, you know, it's one little day at a time. And uh, that's why the gospel is like Gatorade or something that helps you do all things. You. Exactly. Um, and I've been in I've run marathons before that have been a grueling test of will where it was just everything in me to finish. And that to me is, 
there could not be a less compelling version vision of the Christian life than a grueling marathon. You have to will yourself to finish. There are, I have had marathons, however, where for one reason or another, um, it was a joy for 26.2 miles and more than a grueling test of will. It was like, people are surrounding you, cheering you on. And it is like a three hour victory parade. It is mm. so fun and it's not hard. It, it's like, and you have to train for it obviously, but it's, it's just, it's so fun. And I think about, okay, what does it mean for Jesus to give us or for God to give us bountiful grace and speedy help so that we can run the race set before us? I think about what Hebrews talks about as Jesus, as our elder brother, Jesus is like running the race beside us, like giving us, it's a little corny, giving us all the water and electrolytes we need so that the race that we do have to run, you know, God doesn't run the race for us. It's our race, but the race is not this grueling test of will. It's like this celebratory parade where for 26 miles, we have this the, the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And it's, it's the, it's like a flow state, you know, you kind of lose like there's a self forgetfulness of just being in the race and loving every minute of it. And that to me is like, that's what, that's what I want people to experience in the grace of God is that sense of being surrounded, cheered on and just loving every step of the way. I thought for a second, you were going to talk about the footprints in the sand, <laughs> the Lord, when I saw one foot set of footprints, you carried me. He carried ben, I was, me. I was being so earnest, and now you're just freaking uh, dunking great. on that me. Was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. great. But no, I think your, your point is great. Sometimes, as Paul's all says, and he's so right, life is not short. Life is long. And sometimes you're running those, the race of life, and it is just grueling and rough. And it's not the rom-com where everything is right after you meet the girl or you find the job or whatever. And in this prayer, we pray like, mercy, speedily help us, deliver us, run alongside us, feed us those electrolytes, help us out. Uh, and what's better news than that? Footprints in the sand. Why don't you pray <laughs> us out, my man? All right. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. about that episode of our triune pod now that you've been prepped for praise won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review we promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming so be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast